0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Back to throw is Aiden Smith, steps, through. pass, picked off, intercepted! It's picked off by Lamar Jackson. He's to midfield, and he goes down at the 48-yard line of Northwestern. Lamar Jackson gets his second pick of the year. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Ward. And welcome
1: to a... Tuesday night sports night here on the Husker Sports Network. Ben McLaughlin, Nate Roar with you tonight for the next two hours. Well, we got you for two hours. Two of the next three. John Baylor will be in the house for an hour. Mm-hmm. Some uh, assistant coach action for Husker volleyball. That'll be fun. Yeah, Caleb Banworth checking in. It'll be yes. good times for everybody. No question about it. We welcome your questioning calls tonight. Recap the northwestern game you uh have yet to get your take question comments concerns fielding them tonight on sports nightly 866 husker won the number 866-487-5371 the number that is our woodhouse auto family hotline bringing you more choices and brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse coming up on sports nightly tonight we will have a JTEC practice report coming your way. Nate was over at practice earlier today. Defense day today. Eric Shenander, Nebraska defensive coordinator, meeting with members of the media today. We'll get the flavor of Husker football practice earlier this morning. As we mentioned, Nebraska Volleyball Radio Hour and Hour number 2. Caleb Banworth, Jalen Reyes, Nebraska assistants in studio, taking your calls and questions from 7 to 8 o'clock. Hour 3, Top 10 Tuesday coming your way. This could get this could get feisty. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, there's gonna be there's gonna be some uh, painful memories get brought up in this one. Yes, and uh, probably probably a fair amount of griping, <laughs> but it should be it should be fun nonetheless. We're gonna do top ten rules in football we don't like. Yes, and I'm leaving the door open to college or pro, so you know, open to interpretation on that. How do you think it's gonna go in terms of like same same rules on the three lists? I feel like I feel like four or five of them are gonna be on all of ours.
2: Yeah, I think I think there'll be some similarity. There will be some overlap. I don't know that it's gonna be carbon copy, and I don't know that we're all gonna be the same at number one, all gonna be the same at rule three, et cetera, et cetera. So should be a good good uh, opportunity to complain about the rule book i mean so often we complain about the men charged with enforcing the rule book why not why not just complain about the laws themselves no question about it
1: all about it so it's going to be fun going through that and uh, and making uh critiques of the rules and what we would do differently coming up in the third hour of the show also greg smith of Hale varsity will stop by and for a reason husker's got another commit today out of Ronald Delancey 6 foot cornerback from Miami Northwestern the infamous Northwestern high school in Miami Florida originally committed to Louisville was on the uh, trip a couple of weeks ago and decided to to commit to Nebraska today so decommits from Louisville and says yes to the Huskers so we'll get Greg Smith's thoughts on the newest Husker pledge Uh, I suppose let's just start there, Nate. Miami Northwestern, man, there's been some big-time football products to come from that high school at Northwestern in Miami. Levante David, ever heard of
2: him? I I have, actually. Teddy Two Gloves,
1: Teddy Bridgewater, Amari Cooper, uh, Anthony Gator, Brashad Perriman. I mean, there's a lot of really good football players to come from this school. Tremendous
2: athletes down there in Miami, and... Husker's able to snake one away from Louisville. And it adds some depth to the the defensive backfield, and you're going to have to replace Lamar Jackson after this year. And so you continue to add candidates to that pool. The other thing that I think this shows and I think is pretty encouraging is that – the talk about this coaching staff not being able to continue recruiting the state of Florida, I think that was a point of conversation. Yeah, they they were able to get some people out of, you know, when they were at UCF, of course, they were recruiting Florida very hard, but maybe those ties weren't going to stay well forget it, because this coaching staff continues to tap into the state of Florida, continues to tap into some of the strengths that that they brought with them to this coaching staff, so you feel like Nebraska will continue to be able to draw talent from there, and that's such a battleground to get players, and, and there are players to be had from there, especially as Florida State is bad, especially as Miami is bad, uh, so... You You can dip into that, and that can be a, a source of talent that other teams in this conference, and especially other teams in this division just don't have. So uh, another recruiting win in the state of Florida and convincing a kid to come up to the cold. Uh, I think that's a great job by the staff.
1: Yeah, We uh, heard from Braxton Clark last night on Sports Nightly about he's a Florida boy, you know coming up uh, to be a part of Nebraska's program from Florida. And and to play in the cold and and get out of that region, it, it's it's it happens. But the first inkling to a lot of these guys is to stay in the state. Um, so so a big get. <clears throat> tell you what, Coach Fisher's done a really good job of of identifying guys that he really likes, and um, you know he's not the most outlandish coach. He he doesn't d- demand a lot of attention, but you can tell the players that that he gets there's an affinity for him and the way that he goes about his business and uh it's a bit unique his beliefs and and how he coaches but you know it it clearly
2: is attracting a certain type of athlete and you look at how they have how the guys on the roster first off have responded to him I mean you think of Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson was a guy that everybody said well he's so talented but you know whether it was the Riley staff or even the first half of last year, they weren't able to tap into that talent. Well, all of a sudden, this is a guy who could be a first round draft pick and is dipping into that talent and and has become the sort of player that I think everybody thought Nebraska was getting when he was recruited four years ago. DiCaprio Boodle's been great. You, You feel like if there's one position group where there's been a ton of growth and where you feel like you're getting as close to as much out of them as possible, it would be that defensive backfield. And that's veterans that they inherited. It's guys that they've recruited. You feel like a guy like Cam Taylor Britt has made big time strides. So, so you feel like, of anybody on this staff, Travis Fisher's probably done the best of developing the talent once he gets it. And with all the recruiting wins, and we've not seen a lot of the fruits of those labors on the field yet, uh, that big freshman class of defensive backs haven't haven't really made their mark yet, but you feel like when Travis Fisher goes out and recruits, his message is being received and received well.
1: The development part is, is is something that people are going to gravitate to because that seems to be something Nebraska's really struggled with over the last few years. Well, really, you know, quite a bit now is, yeah. is the development of, of talent. And so Ronald Delancey will look to be the next. You brought up something I wanted to talk about here in this first segment, and, and that's Lamar Jackson. CBS Sports put out a, a mock draft, has him at 17 overall, first round <laughs> draft pick projected for Lamar Jackson we're halfway through a senior season but there was a a a conversation we had Lamar and I for the Cornhusker conversation all the way back before week one I think it might have been during fall camp that we did that and you know you and I had talked a lot about it this summer and a lot of people have since and and even during that time you know the transformation that he made as a as a player i don't know if he's going to get picked in the first round but i remember wrapping up the interview with him going dude like (laughs) you don't realize the the conversation that that is going to be had way after you're out of here you know whether you're an nfl draft pick or not and surely he's going to be uh of a turnaround of a player and, and, and the, the maturity of a player that's that's overcome somebody it's going to be the example that we talk about for 10 years oh sure you know like anytime there's a, as a young man that's struggling with the adaptation to college and and maturity and growing up and just attitude motivation you know all those things Lamar's going to be the standard and I don't know what's what's left in his Husker chapter hopefully there's a lot you know, in the future for him, uh, here while, while what's left of his career. But I mean, a guy that's literally been to hell and back <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, we weren't sure he was ever going to be a Husker past, you know, even last year past the Purdue game. Will he show up to practice on Monday? You yeah. know, that was a legitimate question and to, to completely turn it around. He's a proud father. You know, he's, he's, he's grown up in every sense as a, as a student, as a man, as a, as a father, I mean, every way that there is to go. And we're not saying goodbye to him now, but it's going to be a story that, that, I, that we will follow for the rest of his football career. And I wanted to give some attention to tonight because just seeing his name in the mm-hmm. first round with all those players, it's, it's impossible to think about without thinking about everything that, that we thought was going to be of him since the day he, he committed to Nebraska.
2: Well, think about how we were talking about him 365 days ago. Just this time last year, he was a guy that we were going, well, there's a guy that just could never figure it out, could never put it together, had had never reached anywhere near his full potential. And it's about this time when the ship started to turn around, and you, and you mentioned all the steps that he took, and then having his son this this spring, I think has fueled it even more to where he is fulfilling his potential, and he is locked in and focused and developing. And look, think of the think of the game on Saturday. If he doesn't make that play, if he doesn't pick that ball off, even if the game goes to overtime you worry about Nebraska's ability to win that game. So it it, it all came out in that moment to where he made a huge play for you. And whether or not he's a first round draft pick, though he'll be drafted high, you got to love what he's been able to do and how he's been able to grow up and and become the sort of player that he, he always could have been. And you know, so often you get the other end of the story. So often you get the guy who just never figures it out, who never grows up, who never taps in to what he has and what he can do. So for Lamar to grow up at just the right time and find his way, a a ton of credit is due to this coaching staff, but a ton of, but more credit is due to him for figuring it out and putting it all together here in the last year and a half,
1: yeah, I mean obviously the coaches here have a big impact, but his mom has been you know instrumental in a lot of this to him he kind of the tough love mm-hmm. is what he comes from, and um you know his mom's his, was hard on him, but they're so they're they're extremely close and that's that's where he went when he was going through all this last year, and you know it was his it was it was his mom the one telling him. You got to suck it up. You got to get through it. You know, in a day and age where in the fight or flight, it's flight. Mm -hmm. It's I'm packing my stuff and I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to deal with this. Uh, So maybe the unsung hero in
2: this is mom. Oh, certainly. And that's part of it, too. I, I, you know, I'm sure she was saying the thing she was saying last October throughout his career in one fashion or another. But you have to fail. You have to kind of get slapped in the face a little bit to understand, hey, they might be on to something, or at the very least, I don't have every single answer. I'm not the gift to humanity that I've I've thought that I am through high school ball and college ball and all that. Uh, there was some accountability given to him both by his mother and, and by the staff here, and and he put it all together, and he's really put together a nice Season the back half of last year and the first half of this year, uh, and now you want to see him finish strong. And and maybe that mock draft that put him in the first round ends up being right. He certainly has the physical tools to do it. He's certainly had the production this year to make that case for himself. But he's got to put together a whole year. He's sure off to a good start this yeah, year.
1: Yeah, and, and he, he certainly has shown the, the drive and motivation to get there as well. Uh, well, we're still recapping for you the uh, thirteen to ten win over Northwestern. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you here in this first segment when when McCallum kicked the ball. What'd you see? I mean, from <laughs> from your from your vantage point up there in the in the
2: PA booth, what did it look like to you? I I wasn't sure if it was high enough. I, you felt like he hit it straight on. Uh, but you wondered well is this high enough and then fortunately it was and it got through the line you know i i didn't realize until seeing some of the lower angles just how close it was to being blocked that ball had eyes yeah. you, you, you talk about ground balls with eyes in baseball you know that that was that was a football with eyes that found its way through the blocking you know through the northwestern line and and got up to the goalpost and and got through so but you know like I said it, it's good Nebraska settled that thing in regulation if that thing goes to overtime I don't know I you worry if Nebraska could have pulled that game out but Lamar Jackson makes the big pick federal hits the long pass to Wandale and the rest is history
1: yeah and <laughs> I'm just gonna say we're due some for some good fortune, no doubt. Yeah, Nebraska has been on the wrong end of those so many times in recent years. Um, the idea of getting one of those is 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 nice, and we <laughs> we welcome it, and we welcome more of it um, if that's what it takes uh, in the future down the road. Tip the scales in favor in your favor by eating healthier snacks throughout the day. Today's healthy Husker tip brought to you by United Healthcare in the Real Appeal program. Learn more at realappeal.com. Ben McLaughlin, Nate Roar, with you here on Sports Nightly. It is a Tuesday night, which means it's time for a
0: practice report. Every practice.
3: We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it.
0: All season long.
3: There's nothing better as an athlete than
2: being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it.
0: It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly.
2: Presented by JTEC Construction. Time to replace your roof? Call JTEC, the official exterior experts of the Huskers. For a free estimate, J-Tech Construction is a family-owned company with locations in Lincoln, Omaha, and Grand Island. Huskers practiced inside Memorial Stadium today in full pads. We visited with the defensive coordinator, Eric Chenander, after practice. And the conversation started with asking about... Trying to cover Minnesota's great wide receivers, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, combining for 51 catches for nearly 900 n- yards and nine touchdowns. Here's what Eric Chenander said about trying to re- trying to cover those two great wideouts.
3: Yeah, uh, really good group um, in the Big Ten. I think you know Illinois presented some different issues. Obviously, Ohio State's got a, a really good receiving core, but these guys are really good too. I recruited Rashad uh, Bateman a little bit. <clears throat> so I'm familiar with him, um, but they have they have a good crew. They have a, a guy in, in Bateman that can, uh, you know, a lot of yards after catch and a lot of yards per catch, and, and uh, Johnson can go over the middle, and uh, you know they, they they have a nice complementary offense, and, and they do a, a nice job of getting those guys in position to make catches.
2: Both guys six two, uh, both over 200 pounds. So these. These are pretty big wide receivers, and you think about Nebraska's emphasis on recruiting bigger defensive backs lately, and it's to cover guys like this because this would be this would be tough for a shorter defensive back to handle. Yeah, great footwork. Bateman's fast, really really quick.
1: Johnson's strong hands, great hands, great route runner. They complement each other so well, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's not very often, Nate, that you talk about Minnesota and offensive weapons mm-hmm. and offensive firepower. Well, they certainly have that, and they have had that for a couple of years now.
2: Yeah, you like their wide receivers, you like their running backs, and they've had somebody emerge at quarterback. It was thought to be a quarterback battle between Zach Anikstead and Tanner Morgan, but Anikstead hurt his foot during preseason camp, which opened the door for Tanner Morgan to have a great year. He's hit 70% of his passes for 1,250 yards, and Eric Schnander was asked about the challenges of defending Tanner Morgan.
3: Uh, we've seen a lot of. I don't, last year, I don't know if there was a ton of thought put in. I mean, it was the offense, and they had some young quarterbacks rolling through. So we just wanted to defend the offense last year. Uh, he, he's grown a lot. You know, he's, he's making good decisions with the football. Um, we've seen him make some throws that he didn't make last year, um, and some mistakes he some mistakes he made last year. He's not making this year. So I think he's grown as a player. And I think he's managing their offense pretty well. Remember in the game
2: last year, Zach Anikstead started it for Minnesota, got hurt late in the first half. Morgan came in, provided a nice spark for Minnesota in the second half of that game. And though the Huskers held off Minnesota, Morgan gave Nebraska some problems, particularly in the third quarter.
1: Yeah, he did. I remember that. I mean, it was like, man, who is this guy and why didn't he start? It's probably a good thing he didn't start for Minnesota. Uh, That day for the Huskers, but yeah, the Huskers were able to to outscore them at home last year
2: As we continue along on our JTEC practice report, of course, Nebraska coming off the 13-10 win over Northwestern where they held the Wildcats under 300 yards of total offense and Eric Chenander was asked about the growth he's seen from his defense last week
3: Oh, I mean you know, other than the, the drive in the third quarter, you know, it was good to have your back against the wall a little bit and stand up tall and, and hold that thing off. Uh, play four quarters of defense is always good. Keep them out of the end zone uh, for, for a good part of the game is, is good. Uh, getting a turnover when things matter. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge play in, in the growth of a, of a team and a defense to, to make a big play when it really matters, not just make one when you're up 43 to 8 or, or whatever. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of growth within the unit and a lot of growth within the team
2: one more time I mean you think about this defense this year and the South Alabama game they dominated scored twice as a defense and were critical in winning that game and then you know they win this game for Nebraska really with the offense having trouble and even thinking back to last year the Michigan State game where Nebraska won it nine to six this defense has come up with a couple of big performances in the last 12 games, give or take.
1: Yeah, Coach Frost even mentioned that in his press conference yesterday. I didn't think it'd be in year two as head coach here and winning a 9-6 game and 13-10 game. Um, But I think the Big Ten has surprised these coaches a little bit of just how physical and how hard it is of a conference to win games in
2: yeah every coach challenges you especially in this half of the of the conference the Big Ten West the top end isn't as strong but you feel like the depth is a little better on this side Uh, one challenge that Northwestern uh, presented to Nebraska was the zone read and Eric Chenander was asked about how Nebraska defended that zone read run by Northwestern
3: Yeah, I don't think they figured it out. I think everybody just did their job after the first drive. Their eyes were where they were supposed to be and their leverage was where they were supposed to be. The first drive was just, it was poor eye control, eye violators everywhere, and there was poor leverage out there. Um, So it wasn't that the guys figured it out. It was just making sure they were dialed in, focus on their assignments, focus on their eyes, focus on technique.
2: It's just good to see that they were able to adjust and figure out okay this is this is where we need to be, this is how we need to look at this. I was surprised with how much they ran Aiden Smith, considering Smith's only their third quarterback. I mean they've already lost two guys to injury or t j Green's out for the year and and Hunter Johnson's out for now, but the fact that they were down to their third quarterback and Smith still ran it as much as he did, that was a surprise to me,
1: yeah uh yeah, I think it was a surprise to everybody, but hard to hard to stretch the field on Nebraska's corners really is mm-hmm. uh, with with Boodle and and with Jackson, especially considering the talent or lack thereof that Northwestern had at wide receiver. Nebraska definitely had the edge there. Seemed like the Huskers did a really good job on on Drake Anderson and you know shutting that that traditional run game down. so there really wasn't a lot of other option that Northwestern could go to found a little success a couple of times in the quarterback run game they're like all right let's just run with this as long as it works <laughs> but credit to coach Nander of you know, preaching the, the, the techniques and, and fundamentals to slow down that zone rate. once that valve was shut off, you could tell Northwestern was just lost offensively.
2: Yeah, there really wasn't anything that, that was there to propel that Northwestern offense along. Huskers played well defensively on Saturday, despite the fact that they were without one of their best defensive linemen, Khalil Davis. Eric Chenander was asked about the defensive lineman that stepped in in Davis's absence.
3: Yeah, Deontay played a good game. He had you know twenty-some snaps, and Casey Rogers played only a handful, of eight, nine snaps, but he he did a nice job. You know, he only only had one, uh, probably, quote-unquote mental error I saw, and that was more of a thing that doesn't happen very often. It wasn't like a standard type play, um, so it was good take to learn from everybody. But they went in and operated.
2: You like the depth that's there in the defensive line, and the fact that Nebraska was able to lose arguably their best defensive lineman and a guy who had been playing pretty well for them and still control an opponent's offense. And yeah, Northwestern's offense is not great, but the fact that they were still able to control the Wildcat offense, I think it's a pretty nice statement about the depth that's been built on the defensive line.
1: Yeah, and, and, and one more point that was kind of a side note from practice, and I've gotten a few questions on Twitter about Keem Green. And Coach Tuioti talked about that today and said we're definitely going to play him in three more games and, and save the year. And they kind of already, you know, seem to have figured out which three games they're going to plan on him playing in for the rest of the year. So I know we did see him once already. That that kind of sp- speaks a little bit to to your point on the on the depth of the D line and one more piece in at least three games. I know we're already halfway through the season, so he's going to play in 50% of the rest of them.
2: <laughs> you like that. You would think his workload would be backloaded because he joined the team late and he was still getting up to speed, and I think he still had a little ways to go as far as conditioning and being ready to really help this team at the level at which he's capable of helping them. But the fact that you basically get a free agent pickup. I mean, we talk about this all the time. In college football there's no waiver wire. So you can't fill a need, you can't get an extra guy in there. Well, Nebraska does have that luxury for at least 3 more games this year and you got to think, uh, you know, we we haven't seen the plans, but you got to think Wisconsin and Iowa are two of those, uh, you know, 3 games in which Keem Green's going to play. You're Brilliant man, Nate. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Uh, one place where Nebraska has had some trouble, really on both sides of the ball, the third quarter, and especially the first drive of the third quarter, Nebraska has struggled to stop opponents on that drive. Eric Chenander talked about what Nebraska needs to do better in that situation.
3: No, uh, you know, I think, obviously, the the you know first and foremost, the guys aren't for whatever reason, and we've got to address that, we've got to figure it out, for whatever reason they're not firing all cylinders, they're not ready to go um, physically and then mentally, uh, we need to make sure that they understand that something is going to happen in that first drive. They are going to do something different. We don't always know what, um, but they're going to do something different, and that probably falls on me um, to get those guys ready for, we'll make some adjustments, let's let's get this thing rolling. Um, but. I haven't exactly figured it out
2: yet. So the last four games, the opponent has scored on their first drive out of halftime. Meanwhile, Nebraska, I said it's been a problem both sides of the ball. Nebraska is yet to score on their first drive of the second half this season on offense. And they've gone three and out two of the last three games. And that's troubling because, in essence, you get a fresh start. Mm -hmm. So you can almost script out the, what you want to do offensively and then defensively you have to be prepared to handle that scripting the the fact that that offense has had a chance to huddle and talk and regroup and and, and point out a couple of things that you've been having trouble with uh, that they want to try to exploit on that first drive yeah and that's so much talk that
1: we've had Nate over you know the last six months has been how successful nebraska has been on offense in their first drives of the game well essentially you get two of them Mm -hmm. and uh, with the start of the second half and yeah it's definitely something in in numbers to pay attention to and hopefully that gets fixed
2: now finally we were talking about florida defensive backs and eric janander was asked about a couple dicaprio boodle and braxton
0: clark
3: Yeah, DiCaprio's, uh, first and foremost, DiCaprio can go anywhere, too. DiCaprio can go in the slot. He can go at safety. Uh, He knows the whole defense just as good as anybody else, and he's he's a really good player that can play a lot of spots. Braxton is is growing up. He's doing a much better job. He's made some plays this season. He's going to continue to get reps in those sub packages.
2: We talked about how Lamar Jackson's grown up, but you feel like that whole room, just continues to get better, and those guys continue to develop. And, and part of that is guys helping each other, bringing each other along.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to me, my biggest hope, and it's going to be a much bigger story next year, and I don't like to look ahead already in just week six, but how much is Quentin Newsome and Noah Pola Gates and Javen Wright, who tweeted out he had surgery today on, on a shoulder, uh, how much are these, these guys learning from – and taking advantage of this situation with Lamar and Decap, You know, it, to me it's always a sign, like, in the middle of a season when those names get brought up, like mm-hmm. at this time next year. If if we're hearing from Quentin Newsom and some of these other players about, you know, doing things the way Lamar did or DiCaprio did, and obviously, you know, Lamar will be gone. But, right. you know, to, to, to hear that leadership kind of passed down is going to be big.
2: And that's huge for your program building because that's how you get better. You you bring in talented people and you know people who've gone through the battles develop the ones who are going to go through the battles. So it's important for a program for that sort of culture to take hold and those sorts of ideas of bringing along the younger guys. And, and the staff has talked about that. And, and I think Travis Fisher's been one of the most upfront about that in saying i'm recruiting the guy that's going to replace you that's going to yeah. take your job yeah and and the older guys in that room have had the right attitude of we're going to bring those guys with us not we're going to hold those guys back
1: yeah good stuff there's our practice report brought to you by Jake
0: tech construction this is the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network.
4: Illinois got it for the set tip shot, and Megan Miller with the up. Here comes Capri again, left front, skoom, boom, set point for Illinois, Capri for Davis, <laughs> brings him down from the rafters, kaboom, It hits the deck, and places a den in it.
0: Tonight, Assistant coaches Kayla Banworth and Jalen Reyes.
4: Stensburger, not a good pass. Bump set outside. Kubrick up, boom! Woohoo! 12-8 Big Red.
0: Now, here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, John Baylor.
4: Greetings, Nebraska. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. All oh, the jazz music out there playing in the Haymarket. It's tough to feel friction when you hear that music and the weather. We're out here in the Haymarket, just west of the conventional downtown Lincoln, Nebraska. This is your Sarter Heyman, Nebraska Volleyball Show. I am your humble host each week, John Baylor. Not joined this week by 20-year head coach John Cook. Instead, we send in the Olympian. <laughs> Kayla Banworth, and also the pride of BYU, and also Honolulu, Punahou High School.
5: That's it.
4: Jalen Ray's home of the Fighting Warriors. What high school in Honolulu is not called the Warriors? Are there any? There's, there's actually like a bunch that are Warriors, which is good. There called... are Warriors. So like tonight, the yeah. Warriors and the Warriors. It's gonna be yeah. a, it's a war. Yeah, exactly. That's Jalen. That's Kayla. The assistant coaches are here. You are too. It, 866-HUSKER-1. That's 866-487-5371. So we've lowered the average age on the program this week, but we don't want to lower the average IQ. We have an all-star cast here. Kayla, you are in a defensive volleyball player extraordinaire. Now, don't shoot the messenger here, but I'm looking at the Wisconsin statistics.
6: No, we don't have, we don't have to look at that. We don't want to look at that. <laughs>
4: Kayla. <laughs> Wisconsin hit 376, and Husker fans are still somewhat shell shocked. Yeah. It's one thing to lose a match, those things happen. And the Huskers last were swept in the national semifinal at Columbus against Texas. The Huskers were last swept at home against Stanford in August of 2014. So these things do happen, but I've never seen a match like this.
6: Yeah, it's definitely weird. I think we are now 299 and 1. Our record is 299-1 when we hit over 300. Yeah,
4: a John Cook coached Nebraska team now has a single loss when hitting 300 or more. Because yep. on the other side of the ledger, Nebraska hit 336. If someone had told you, and these are conversations that typically don't occur, but if they were to occur prior to a match that you would hit 336, you would feel awfully confident that things would work out.
6: Oh, I'd be very happy. I'd be sitting back. I'd be chilling oh, yeah. relaxing.
4: But they didn't work out. <laughs> no. So, nope. <laughs> what happened?
5: Yeah, just uh, Wisconsin is a pretty good team. And offensively, uh, they took it to us. And we didn't have any answers defensively. Block wasn't there uh, in some specific situations. And um, it just kind of snowballed on us that night, for sure.
4: Did Wisconsin surprise you? Were they doing things that the the game plan didn't guess? Not really. Nope. <laughs> Which were, is which doing, is even the more confusing part yeah, of it. So the players, the the game plan broke down. The players were not executing. The uh, game
5: plan. I think I, I think that a little bit. I think um, just attention to detail in some minor areas um, probably just kind of helped uh, didn't help us out. And um, yeah, that's. I mean, they got a they have a really good team on the other side of the net too. So that's another yeah, good a thing. A lot of talent. I they credit them as they well.
4: Have a, they have a single contributor, Kayla and, and Jalen. That's. A third-year sophomore. Otherwise, every single contributor they have is a junior or senior. So a third-year sophomore is their other middle. And then they, everyone else is a junior. That's a, that's an experienced volleyball team you'll ever see. I mean, their window for a title is this year and next year. That's mm-hmm. their window for a first Wisconsin title. And from what Husker fans saw on Saturday, the window is wide open. Mm-hmm. They look really good. Mm-hmm. But w- w- did Nebraska just have an off night defensively?
6: I mean, I think both teams had an off night defensively. defensively and, you know, every once in a blue moon, you're going to see these kind of really weird matches where, you know, the offense goes off, but neither defense can do anything. So um, it was definitely really, really strange. Um Offensively, we were great. Maybe next yeah. time we play Wisconsin, one of us can play defense. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> the fans. Next start... time it's
5: going to be like a defensive struggle. Yeah, both teams will hit. <laughs>
6: both teams will hit zero. Whoever
5: hits positive <laughs> is going to win next time.
4: Would it have helped if the jam-packed Vandy Center crowd of eighty two three hundred and ninety three had started chanting defense? With that, it, it, might, it might have been helpful. It might we have been. We probably could have used it. Yeah. <laughs> Did it remind you, Jalen, of a men's? Volleyball match?
5: It honestly, it honestly did. I was gonna say, just men's volleyball is usually played like that, where it's serve side uh, out, serve side out, serve side out, um, miss serve, miss serve. So there's (laughs) a few, few less miss serves. I guess we missed a bunch in the third, but if
4: you're in a rush, the miss serve takes a little less time than the side out, but not much. Yes, maybe a point. And so it had that male volleyball quality. It did. To it. it so yeah you, you were a bunch of big company. girls on the court a bunch of tall girls athletic girls out there were so. they, we're, we, normally that's the case at least at the man, men's level because the the guys hit faster than guys can react so guy hits the ball defensive player libero like yourself Jalen he suddenly realizes the ball's been hit and is you know after it lands behind him I mean it's just so doggone fast were, were the were you both teams just hitting lasers on Saturday night just too fast to react, or, or or the defensive players misplaced. There was a few lasers, but I think I you know I
5: can only speak for ourselves. I think we were um, we didn't do a good enough job as a group to to defend them as you know as properly as we needed to 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 kind of stress them out a little bit. Um, you know I'm not exactly sure what their plan was for us offensively, but I'm just from our from our side of things, from from my side of things, I just felt like we weren't. Um, you know, block and block defense together didn't do a good enough job to kind of defend them. So,
4: Caleb Banworth, before the Olympic years, you were a Husker from mm-hmm. 07, 8, 9, and 10. And you know what it's like to take a, bad, to take a tough loss, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. To what extent do you think this team, your players, uh, lost some confidence on Saturday? And, and to what extent has it been replenished in the first two days of practice this week?
6: Um, yeah, matches like those, it's really easy to lose confidence, but I think today and yesterday, we had really great practices. Um, so I don't think that's going to be a problem for them. I think they realize what happened, realize what needs to be done, and, um, you know, they're on a mission to be great. So. You can either lose confidence and kind of wallow in that loss, or you know, get up and dust yourself off. We say facetiously at times on the broadcast,
4: oh, "You don't want to peak too early. You don't want to peak in September," and that's kind of a way to make people feel a little better. But Nebraska is kind of known for almost every year. I don't want to say every. I do not want to say everywhere, but nearly every year, John Cook team is much better in late November. Than mid-September, we think every team's that way. No, 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 that's not necessarily the case. Some teams devolve, but the Huskers almost always get dramatically mm-hmm. better. And it, it, do these moments like this potentially, in retrospect, actually help that process?
6: You know, I'm, I hate losing, <laughs> but I'm a really firm believer that you know a team that experiences that kind of adversity is just going to make them that much stronger, um, and they're really going to have to come together. So I think learning about ourselves in this defeat will ultimately help us build up and be a stronger team.
4: The key, though, is when you stare across the net, you don't suddenly lose belief. But you look at these scores, and you remember the sets against Wisconsin. They were very close until Mm -hmm. the very end of each of the three sets. Stanford, they were close until about 10-10. So do you think, though, that, the players recognize, hey, we were close in all these matches. It didn't turn out the way we wanted, ultimately. But we see a lot of glimpses of greatness here. We can, we can still catch lightning in a bottle and potentially uh, continue what we've built over the last four years. I think for sure, offensively, there was a, a ton of positives. Um,
5: you know, the way Maddie and Lexi and Jazz played, especially um, offensively, especially hitting you know balls out of system. Um, think that we've been training a lot since, I don't know, March of last year. Um, so there's a ton of positive. You know, I hope, I hope we play like this or somewhere around this level offensively the rest of the year. You know, and um, defensively it was a little disheartening, but I think, I don't know, I'd like to think that's a little bit of an outlier compared to how our team normally plays defense.
4: And isn't defense easier to fix? I mean, if your middles are not clicking with your setter, the right sides are clicking with the setter, that can feel daunting to fix. That can be a long process. Defense, it would seem, especially given the history prior to Saturday night, this thing is fixable.
6: Yeah, I mean, definitely I think it's easier to make adjustments on defense. The setter-hitter connection takes time and um, that that trust there. But, I mean, all the all the things we did on Saturday or the, all of the the plays that we miss on Saturday are easy fixes with just, you know, small tweaks. So we just didn't quite have them.
4: Kayla Banworth, Jalen Rays, your two Nebraska volleyball assistant coaches. They're here for the Nebraska Volleyball Show, 866-HUSKER-1. Eight six six four eight seven five three seven one. Now something happened about two weeks ago, and someone lit a fire under Jazz Sweet, because she is unstoppable right now on offense. What happened? Whatever happened? How do we just keep it going? I
5: I don't know exactly what happened, but I just I don't know. I think Jazzy's, um, you know, she's has two years under her belt. She's been to two finals, so she knows kind of her way around. A college women's volleyball season now, and um, she's she's a lot better in terms of um, I don't know understanding the things that she needs to do to be successful. And I think now it helps going year two with a, a different setter. You know, year one she plays play with All American Kelly Hunter, and then next year we have Nichole Hames, a freshman. And um, you know, I think there was some growing pains with that. And now I think they're they're both getting a little more comfortable with each other. Uh, I think definitely that's a two-way street. Not mm-hmm. just Jazz playing better, but I think Nicholyn understanding how Jazzy likes the ball and when to give her the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I just think Jazz is. I thought Jazz had a great spring and summer um, with us in terms of yeah. on the court and you know just physically in the weight room. So is I think that calling, helps.
4: Is she calling for the ball more? I she's
5: think definitely calling for the ball louder. more, and she's she's definitely mm-hmm. getting set more, and she's definitely getting the ball at bigger times now too.
4: Yeah. And what does that open up for everybody else, at least offensively, if suddenly Jazz is putting away 13 kills a match?
6: Yeah, it's definitely nice that our block has to focus on her a little bit more and can open things up for Lexi and Maddie in her middles. Um, the other thing with Jazz, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about this is her third year here and Big Ten started. So she knows how it's like, what it's like to play in the Big Ten. She knows she's got to go another level. And, you know, we don't have a Michaela Fecky this year to bail us out and someone's got to step up. So, um, Jazz is going to take on that role, I think, or try to.
4: Now, Jalen, Lawrence Stivens, and Dana Recchi for Wisconsin. These are two returning first-team All-Americans. Very well deserved. These are elite players. I think the two best middle
5: blockers in the country.
4: Ho. Oh. For sure,
5: Whoa. I think fine sure. words.
4: Whoa. I like that stuff. That's Whoa. billboard material. For sure, <laughs> I think I think I think so. No I, disrespect to other people, I totally but I think agreed. those are two, two totally of the agreed. top what about middle the, block. I think Penn State's got a middle there that might. Hart is pretty good. She's pretty. Monica Stone oh. at Oregon's really good. I'm Just trying to mitigate the of room. Texas material, has got a, a few. All right, they, Texas, but but Lauren gets eleven sets. Uh-huh. Dana Recchi gets twenty sets. Mm-hmm. What can we do to feature Lauren as much as they feature their great middle? I think pass the ball. Uh you know I think I think it's I think it's a I don't know.
5: I think there's a there's a you know you could, everyone could just say oh pass the ball. But I think of course that's going to help. I think um you know for Lauren um understanding like in transition, she can become there's times where um, she can become more available to mm. get set, right? So maybe that's a, an extra set or two or night, and we pass the ball a little bit better. There's an extra set or two a night. There's you you know, know, an so, extra point or two. Yeah, Then then there, there's your go from 12 to 11 swings to 15,
4: 16, I mean, you know? So I'd set her in the concourse. I mean, wherever she is, get her the ball. <laughs> but even in transition, Red Key's available, she's slam They yeah. force it to her. How do we force yeah. it to Lauren?
5: And I, I think that's also kind of what we talked about with Jazz is, um, you know, with Nicklin is – it's a you know it's not just it's a two-way street right it's not just Lauren but it's Nicklin feeling comfortable in certain situations to kind of force feed Lauren the ball sometimes just like Sydney Hilly does to, to
4: Dinareki. Is, is that time Hilly's a junior and and uh, Nicklin's a sophomore? Is that is that time? I think
5: I, you know I don't know if I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly when it should happen but um, you know I'm comparing it to last year she's definitely forcing the middle more from off the net or from different you know maybe more difficult situations than she did in the past so. I think it's Lauren feeling comfortable with Nicklin and obviously Nicklin feeling comfortable not just with Lauren but with all our attackers.
4: Here's Bruce in Omaha. Bruce, great to have you on the Nebraska Volleyball Show. Well, thank you very
7: much for taking my call. Just curious to the two coaches. We noticed last week that um, a little iffy on the back back line, but Haley Dansberger always seems to bring a little spark. I was, We were surprised that Coach didn't bring her in during some of those late sets any any knowledge you can give on that one
6: well what we always say in our gym is you know the best four passers are going to play and um so they have to kind of earn that every day and and part of the reason we like to keep our outside hitters in the back row um is that they're then available as a back row attack so um just kind of one of the pros and cons of of leaving Lexi in or Maddie in and leaving Haley out is that we if we take out our backer outside hitter then we kind of take out an offensive option
4: how improved a digger and passer is Haley Densberger this year the pride of Malcolm I might throw in there how improved (laughs) is she a digger and a passer? because she looked really good against Illinois
6: Mm -hmm. yep she's definitely very very improved um and I've been with her since her freshman year. And it's just, I mean, it's light years difference. She's doing amazing. Um, but again, just pros and cons of the personnel we have out there.
4: Now, Haley's shorter than Lexi uh, by probably three, four inches. And uh, But how important is height in the back row? Because Haley was a heck of a attacker in high school. How important mm-hmm. is height from 10 feet away?
6: Yeah, I mean, if the longer you are, the longer limbs you have, then obviously the more surface area you're going to cover. So it makes things a little bit easier. Um, I'm not sure... Haley would be able to hit the bick at a Big Ten level, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so I mean again, it's just you got to kind of weigh your options out and what's important and, um,
4: yeah. How, how often did Kenzie Maloney ask you guys to set her back there?
6: Oh, she'd beg. She begs. So, Kenzie Knuckles is the same way. She yeah, she, she wants always to wants to hit. I'm like Kenzie, no.
4: The <laughs> <laughs> Can liber- can't leave the floor though, so they would have to keep their feet on the floor.
6: They can't. They can't attack the ball from above the plane oh. of the net.
4: So they'd have to duck, like get down and. Like. Yeah, they can
6: jump, but as long as they're not contacting the ball above the net, it's legal. They could jump and hammer it from the. Yeah, button. just like do some yeah. sort of half bend over and then.
4: Eight six six Huskerwood eight six six four eight seven five three seven one. But these are some pleasant choices you have. You got some real depth, mm-hmm. uh, but also is there an issue of fatigue? I mean, you could at least give Lexi a, a mental rest potentially by giving her you know sending Haley in there a little more often
6: yeah I mean it's definitely something that coaches use as a strategy if you know someone's in a lull take them out give them a break let them reset and then send them back in so um, we definitely have options and that's always a good thing so um, again just trying to figure out what's best for the girls
4: that's Kayla Banworth Jalen Ray's in the house your assistant coaches with the Nebraska Volleyball 866 Husker 1 this is your starter Heyman Nebraska volleyball show, Sartre-Haman, where the official Husker jeweler, where Sartre-Haman is where Nebraska gets engaged. Midwest Ford Dealers is offering you an awesome prize this football season. All you have to do is enter a photo showing your Husker pride or vote for your favorite photo, and you could be the winner of a bowl trip for two, a VIP experience to the Iowa game, or a $50 Husker gift card. Enter and vote today, Facebook.com/slash Huskers and Nebraska eight one one says go dig red before you dig, always call or click eight one one to have your utility lines marked. It's free. It's easy. It's the law. Eight one one. Greg, in Grand Island, Nebraska. Greg, great to have you on the Nebraska volleyball show. Hello, Greg. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Just a quick question. I think often about Jordan Larson, and I realize she's kind of a one in a lifetime type of player. But we haven't
7: ever really had anybody who was as explosive jump-serving since she was around, as far as I'm concerned. And I was curious about if that's something you guys – I mean, is it just as simple
5: as being an extreme freak athlete and being able to do that? Is that something you guys actively
7: promote and work on with your more athletic players? Or I guess what is the reason
4: that uh, we haven't seen that type of – explosive jump serving since it feels like since Jordan's been around and I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. <laughs>
5: um, It's a good question. Uh, For the the more effective serve in women's volleyball is a float serve um, and that not because not because um, a jump serve can't be effective. For it to be effective though for a jump topspin serve you have to be able to consistently hit it hard enough to generate enough pace because of the spin. If you don't hit it hard enough, it's actually a really, really easy ball to pass. Um, so if you can't hit it hard enough consistently, when I mean consistently be able to hit it f- high 50s into the 60 miles an hour, it actually becomes a really easy ball to p- pass, which means the other team's going to be in system often enough. And you got to be able to hit it in enough. So... Uh, You know, we could have somebody that could hit it 61, 62, but maybe two out of 10 times. So just in terms of the plus value for what it does for your team,
4: uh, if you don't hit it hard enough, then um, it's not as effective. And isn't there concern about wear and tear on the shoulder as well? For someone to be able to generate that speed from the back line, they're taking off probably a lot of swings on the front line. That's a lot of swings. Yeah, that's a lot of swings. That's a lot of jumping.
5: Um, I would say, I, I used to coach men's volleyball, so... The most physical thing in volleyball actually is spike serving because you're trying to generate a lot of speed from 30 feet away versus if, you know, as you're attacking, you're doing the same thing. But because you're at the net, you don't actually have to generate as much pace, um, as often. But, um, you know, I, I can only speak for the girls on our team the last couple of years because I haven't been here since Jordan Larson, but, um, you know, if we had somebody that could hit it consistently and hard enough, you know, we'd probably for sure look at it. Yeah, absolutely.
4: So, okay, Kayla, you played with Jordan here and on the national team. Is mm-hmm. she in the conversation uh, for greatest volleyball all-around player of her generation?
6: Yeah, I think she's definitely in the conversation. It would be upsetting if she wasn't.
4: <laughs> Is, <laughs> you what was her, what's the weakest part of her game? She's uh, still on the team. She's going to be in the Olympics next year.
6: I mean, I just – I don't know, dude. She's invincible. I mean – Thir- what 32 years old and still doing it with the best of them so um i don't think there's anything that girl can't do she's amazing
4: the first time on this show i've been called dude i kind of like oh, so-
6: <laughs> <laughs> here's kevin
4: from cedar rapids iowa kevin great to have you on the nebraska uh, volleyball show iowa. thank you i'm uh, an addict of uh, women's volleyball um question about
7: uh, i guess for the whole crew there you were talking about jazz suites really coming on this year and i wonder how much of that has to do with in prior years Uh, i mean i don't care who your setter is you got to be feeding the kala as much as you can and so jazz maybe not getting the feeds and this year of course now there's more balance up there how much how how, do you think that played into it at all
6: yeah i think for sure i think you know having Mikayla on the team is a pretty easy bailout for when things maybe aren't going so well for us and we just need someone to put the ball away and like I said earlier, you know, we need someone to do that this year. <laughs> so, um, someone's got to step up and I think Jazz Jazz realizes that and is something that's that's willing, you know, she's willing to take that on her shoulders but um, Jazz is coming alive for sure and when we need people or we need someone to put the ball away in a critical moment, she's she's stepping up so Um, yeah she's kind of filling that role a little bit
4: thanks Kevin this is your Sarder Heyman Jewelers Nebraska Volleyball show stay right there we think them up
0: we count them down it's top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly All right, we're going
8: to say hi to Austin Orman hi Austin hi Ben hi Nate Hi, Ben. Hi, Nate. How we doing? Did we catch you Good. off guard? Are you awake back there? Um, I'm not supposed to blame Brett, but I might have to blame Brett for this one. Ooh. Ooh. Come on. Aust- Austin pointing the finger
2: and not the thumb. No,
0: he, is, he is correct. That is though. regrettable.
3: <laughs> he is correct.
2: It's all
1: about me. That was yeah. on me. Man. All right. Well, this is the, we're setting the tone. <laughs> we're, we're pointing the fingers at each other. We're going to be pointing the fingers at the refs, so we're going to be pointing the fingers at... The NFL and the NCAA, which is always a fun thing to do. Yes. Um,
2: Nate, why don't you start us off tonight? All right. My number 10, we actually saw this on Saturday, and that would be college football allowing a coach to call consecutive timeouts. Mm. Pat Fitzgerald of the game before Lane McCallum's game-winning field goal called three straight timeouts. Now, I think the whole icing the kicker thing is lame anyway. But okay, you do it once, that's fine, whatever. But calling three timeouts—that was not entertaining at all. So get rid of it, college football. Figure it out.
1: I like that. That I didn't consider that, but that's a good one. Yeah. I, I I like. We're off to a good start. Uh, I'm going NFL. Actually, most of mine are NFL. Um, believe it or not. To, to, to give me a shot to take at the NCAA, and, and normally I'm taking that eight days out of seven, but mm-hmm. um, we're picking on the NFL pretty big time tonight. My number 10, I, I've, I've backed off on it a little bit, but I still have a huge issue with it, and that's the moving the extra points back. Ooh, um, yeah. Greg is 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 the one holding the sign and walking up and down the streets all for it. I mean, he just loves this rule. To me, it's like you're punishing the kickers for being too good at what they do right like like i thought like i th- said to greg my counterpoint is okay well are we gonna make patrick mahomes or you know whatever good offense do they do they only get three downs <laughs> are they do they have to do offenses have to start playing with less downs Are defenses you know not allowed to play zone coverage like if you're too good at what you do, you shouldn't be penalized for being good at what you do
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and yeah it's completely changed the game and Not a fan of it, so that's my number 10.
2: Plus it takes away the possibility of the fake extra point go for two, which is always fun. Yeah.
8: Uh, Note on Tracy Porter, since you guys were asking for a Google search on him, not much going on with Mr. Tracy Porter. I've been out of the NFL since 2017 when he was arrested in Baton Rouge after bouncing around uh, four or five teams. What was he arrested for? Uh, quote, for allegedly pushing and grabbing his dating partner around the neck and face during an argument, end quote. Come on, Tracy. <laughs> that, that's a bad life choice there, Tracy. Yeah. Carter. I don't think he's listening to Sports Nightly no. after that. Probably doesn't have access to it. Yeah, prob- probably bigger issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, my number 10 here is one that, Ben, you mentioned yesterday, and I, I hadn't thought about it, but the more I thought about it, the less of a fan I became of it. The five players on the either side of the kicker rule, you know, it makes onside kicks impossible, harder than they already are, takes away creativity for directional kicking, stuff like that. And It honestly just seems a little bit arbitrary in rules just for rule's sake. I just don't entirely understand it. Like, I, I would need somebody
1: to explain the safety factor on this, you know, because – does it matter where they line up are you just basically they're rooting for less congestion right is what they're doing
2: well i i think what they're worried about is two guys hitting one guy and there are a bunch uh there's the rule against double team blocks okay so make a
1: rule against that just like a chop block
2: you could you could how yeah. hard is that wasn't very hard at all all right let's fix it goodell wake up Okay, number nine, and maybe this should be higher, but I'll stick it at nine. This is where I have the rule where on defensive pass interference at the college level, you can only get 15 yards. or The penalty is only 15 yards, right? So if you're burned for a 50-yard bomb, tackle the guy because it's worth first and 10 at midfield as opposed to first and ten at the three. So I, I just think especially as good as passing offenses are now, you should be rewarded for beating the defensive back so well that he has to interfere with you. So that's where I have uh, the 15-yard max on the defensive pass interference.
1: Alright, my number nine, Nate, I'm going to make you throw, move all your pens out of the way and uh, and drop all the throwing objects because I might have one coming my way here and uh, it's, it's kind of a, a petty thing, but it's more it's, – I'm going with just the NFL strict equipment rules. No tinted visors, no custom face masks, uh, no custom shoes, even if you're supporting a cause, and you even have to wear specific
2: color and length of socks. Oh, now see, I, I like that rule. I, I hate watching – college games and there's three different lengths of socks plus they just look better hate it well in the (laughs) nfl like okay if
1: you're gonna enforce it enforce it some have the long white some have the very short white like
2: yeah i I, i'm all for uniform enforcement i know you are but Ah.
1: yeah the just the, the strict equipment policies for me are my number nine
8: nate is for uniformity ben is for uniformity in a different way
1: yes sure
8: all right, uh, number nine for me. This one happened in Nebraska against Illinois. This is where I have the touching a kickoff out of bounds rule. Mm. It's just stupid. If it's you know normal fumble, if you touch it out of bounds, you can't possess it, and it almost it punishes the kicker for putting the ball in a good spot. Think yeah. about how Isaac Armstrong kicked that one. It looked like it was going out of bounds, but it didn't. It worked out perfectly well for Nebraska, or so you thought. And some guy makes the decision to lay down, stretch his arm out when he's out of bounds, when that's never counts for a possession in, in a football game ever. Just stupid. It is. The boundary is the boundary. Right. It should never be used as your benefit.
2: Yeah, it it feels,
8: it it punishes a kicker for kicking the ball perfectly. Yeah. This is football, not soccer. If you're in bounds, you're in bounds. It doesn't matter where the ball is at. If you're out of bounds, you're out of bounds. It's a stupid rule. Don't like it. Uh, My number eight, and this has been a
2: rule for a while, most of my football watching life, and I feel deprived. This is where I have banning the fumble rooski because (laughs) uh, I think 1992 is when they banned it because Will Shields ran one, I think, against Oklahoma, and that was the last one that Nebraska ran legally. But, look, I'm a bigger guy. I played the lines when I was an active player, so to my sophomore year in high school. Neither here nor there. We don't get the ball very much. So – when somebody cooks up a creative way to give the big guys the ball, why why must we deprive them?
1: Yeah, like when Al <laughs> Remember when we had the play to Alex Lewis and he caught the touchdown? They called it back. Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's right. That, that was
1: the that was the Barney Cotton game, I believe. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. they had that thing cooked up all week, and they they took it away from him.
2: It was too beautiful to live. <laughs>
7: yeah.
1: Oh boy. All right. My number eight has been mentioned. This is where I have the uh, equal size of the kicker on the onside kick. Give him a shot. Give him a chance.
2: Yeah. The onside kick needs a little light. Like, it's
1: unlikely anyway.
8: Yeah. I think they're 0 for 13 now in the NFL. Yeah. Onside kicks. Alright, number 8 for me. I'm interested to see if you guys have this one on your list later or not. This is where I've got leaping. You know, over the center. I think it's just so cool to see a guy fly over the line of scrimmage to block a kick. Troy Polamalu did it. Bobby Wagner famous Camp for it. Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor, excuse me. um, Indiana beat Michigan State because it went wrong. You know, Penn State beat Ohio State because it went right. It's fun. You get to see good athletes show off their timing and athleticism, and you go and throw a flag on them for it. I'm I'm not a fan. It's not on my list, but I don't mind it. If you're not
1: touching the center, right, you're not doing anything illegal. Yeah, if you're not blowing them up.
8: Trying
2: to and and okay, if you're going to ban it on that, why not ban running backs for doing it? Jumping over linemen at the goal line. Or for that matter, d- you know, linebackers leaping over the offensive line meeting that guy. Yeah. Uh, that would seem more dangerous to me than a guy leaping over a long snapper. Yeah. Can we have a little consistency yeah. here, please? Isn't that most of these issues? Yes. Yes. All right. My number seven, and this isn't really a specific rule as it is the way something is administered, and that is that in college football, the rev- the reviews are initiated by the booth. I don't like it because it's just so arbitrary. Hey, did they see enough? Do the Is it close enough? Are they going to look at it? And so you'll have teams begging for them to take a look at it. I wish college football had the NFL system where you have to challenge if you think you saw enough that it's worth challenging it okay we'll review it but just because some guy in a booth buzzes the officials we're, we're not going to look at it And lord knows in the big 10 the looks happen too often
1: are you okay with it if it's you know obviously you don't get a challenge before under two minutes are you okay with a booth review under two minutes i am yeah okay so Sands two
2: minutes. Right.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Y-
2: you can't use it as a timeout.
1: Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, my number seven, Austin. You had this one, and that's that's boundary helping returners on kickoffs. Just just the dumbest dumbest rule ever. <laughs>
2: right. I mean, hey, give Illinois credit for. Oh, and I've 11. seen it
1: in NFL games multiple
2: times. Right.
1: But, yeah, it's for dumb. those that – and I'm sure there were a lot of people that didn't know that rule or had never seen that before mm-hmm. and were just confused as all get out, and you should be because it's a stupid rule.
2: It is a dumb rule. All
8: right, uh, my number seven, Nate had earlier. I've got the fumble risky rule up here. Let, let, the, let the big guys play. Have some fun. I echo everything he said except for having played line in my football days.
2: Oh, uh, yes. Well, there you go. Well, of course, because you're half my size. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, my number six, and this is where I have the NFL rule about not hitting a quarterback below his knee. I mean, this protection doesn't exist for anybody else on the field. Like, offensive linemen can get ruled up on who cares. Running backs, you can hit them whatever way. You know, wide receivers, whatever. But only because of the quarterbacks. We, we, we got it. You, we, we are so worried about how you tackle a quarterback. How about you protect him better it, yeah. <laughs> as an offensive line? Come
1: yeah. on. Um, my number five, and I, putting this together, I couldn't believe—or we're on six. six. We are on. Six. Okay, six. good, good. Okay, my number six. This is a college rule. Really, not a fan at all of the helmet come off, you're off for a play rule. Not mm. a fan of. I've I've seen what happens on those piles, and guys are ripping at helmets trying to pull them off. Yeah, that's like cheap. Like you're gonna you're gonna make a guy come off for a play because someone rips his helmet off. Like, hate the rule. Uh, A lot of times you're having to put somebody in the game, and most of the time it's quarterback. Right. You know, you're having to put a a quarterback in the game that's a backup or Luke McCaffrey's case, you know, a very precious game at the time for for a potential redshirt. And now you're having to put him
8: in there for one play because a dude's helmet came off? Come on. My number six also applies to helmets in a different way, though. I've got targeting here at number six. The rule itself, totally fine. Protecting defenseless receivers, definitely a good thing. My issue is in the um, you know adjudication of it. It's so difficult. It's so weirdly written. It's so incredibly entirely subjective. So many cool big hits that guys bounce right up from are penalized. I, I don't think that's right. It happened to Nate Gary back not too long ago. If the pads are hitting the pads first, I don't see any problems with getting big hits. So, yes, protecting defenseless receivers. Obviously, something needs to be in place where they need to rewrite it. It's not well written right
2: now. Yeah, pretty arbitrary. Don't like don't like how it's enforced. And the other thing is, like, you, you feel like so often the targeting call comes by happenstance. You know, happenstance. A guy happens to duck down to make a catch and the helmet's contact. Yeah. That's, that's a crappy way for a guy to get kicked out of a game, sure. Uh, my number five in this, uh, you get, you guys both had it. The rules on kickoffs, making onside kicks impossible. I would be okay with the rule if they had something else. Whether and I think was it the was it the lake that just failed that would give you one down to gain twenty one yards or something like that. Yeah. Give me some way other than an onside kick to flip possession, and I can live with it. But if you're going to take the onside kick away and you're not going to give me a possibility, it prevents big comebacks, which are one of the most fun things in football. Yeah. All right, my number five, and
1: like I was saying before when I mixed my numbers up, I couldn't believe this was this low on my list. Mm. Like like putting this together, I was thinking, okay, this has got to be top three minimum, maybe number one, and it's the catch rule. Oh. Like how can we not know what a catch is? Like, you just look at it and go, yep, he caught it. And now we're establishing, uh, what is it, the process of a catch. Mm-hmm. Did he make Making an athletic move. move? B.S. Ball went in his hands and he caught it. Like, that's a catch. We know what a catch is. And, and, and now it's to the point where you're like, we're, we're going to sit in a boardroom with a bunch of people around a table and, and give opinions on what a, what a full catch is.
2: Yeah. Like, come on. It's one of those things because the cameras are so good and the video is so sharp. Like, we can see the ball move slightly or we can see it scrape a blade of grass, but the guy still gets
8: up. Yeah. It's tough. If the
1: If the ball is in somebody's hands and it stops moving and it's
8: corralled, it's a catch. Yeah. Whatever happens after that is fair game in my eyes. Fair enough. The catch rule to me is football's answer to baseball's new video review rule where the guy slides off the base for a millisecond. Yeah just too similar in that regard my number five specifically a college rule and college celebration penalties I just think they're a little over the top there's there's a line that can be crossed definitely but if you have to throw a penalty when someone does horns down not to relitigate that whole conversation it's stupid let the kids have some fun talk some trash there's a boundary of course but loosen up a little yeah guys celebrating with their teammates getting flags is absolutely ridiculous Yeah, I I
2: don't need the choreographed shows that we have seen some in the NFL. But if a dude spikes a ball and hugs his teammates, there's nothing wrong with that. You you should be excited. Can't believe that didn't make my list. I'm mad that it's not on my list. I thought about (laughs) it. But I also don't want the dog and pony shows that you occasionally (laughs) see. My number four, this is where I have the rule just instituted this year, banning blindside blocks. I mean... You're, you're on gotta, the football field. You're on the field. You could get hit, and maybe you should have your eyes up, head on a swivel. I, I just don't, I don't like the rule. I don't like
1: the rule either, not at all. Either does Kenny Bell. Nope. Uh, my number four, Nate. You had this earlier, and it, it's. I'm just labeling it quarterback contact in the NFL. Like, so many games are just determined by a quarterback going to the ground. Period. Yeah. Like. Touch their leg, touch their shoulder, touch their rib, touch their helmet, touch their arm, whatever. It's rule to flag. Like, you know what an excessive personal foul penalty looks like. You know why you know that? Because it's the same rule that's applied to all ten other positions. Right. Like, just
2: use that same logic with the quarterback. Oh, you would think. (laughs) I mean, but the NFL is so freaked out about because there are so few great quarterbacks The NFL's freaked out about losing him. And then in the college game, I mean, quarterbacks run and get hit and everything else, and it's fine. Yeah.
8: Terrible, NFL. You're terrible. Terrible. NCAA and NFL are both terrible about roughing the passer. That's my number four. Again, probably a good rule to have in place, but the way it's called, I think it's gotten a little bit too soft where you can wave a hand in front of Tom Brady's face and get that called roughing the passer or you hit a guy with your hand in his chest plate and that seems like it's roughing the passer. Carlos Davis had a clean hit on Saturday, got Mm -hmm. hosed with that call. Again, a good rule to have in place, just terribly, terribly enforced.
2: Yep. Yeah, the Carlos Davis call last week was garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My number three, this is where I have pass interference being reviewable in the NFL. It's a judgment call. And if you you go to the video and pick it apart frame by frame, you can find it if you're looking for it. So it's just an ace in a hole for a sputtering offense? Come on. This is one of those where if the refs don't see it live, it shouldn't be called. I
1: lockstep with you on my number three. Here's what I'm waiting for. A Hail Mary into an end zone. Ooh. And somebody, you know, it's fourth and six at the 44-yard line, Mm -hmm. and you just throw it up to the end zone, and you think it's pass interference, you throw the flag, and it gets reversed. Then you get first and goal at the two. Sure. Not a fan of that at all. Now, I will say they've been very strict. Like, I didn't think the T.Y. Hilton – offensive pi was pi at all it wasn't mm-hmm. and and they they stuck with it so they're they're bearing they're being very particular on on reversing them which is good but why do it then right you know if the success rates four percent at the end of the year what are we doing really right it was wasting everybody's time and the big problem i have with it is because it all changed on one call oh yeah like the entire conversation was because oh this team got screwed okay so did the Chiefs with all the rough – you know, the, the roughing the passer with Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes getting whacked in the face, and they didn't get a roughing the passer call. So should those be reviewable too because Kansas City didn't get a call? No. Just because New Orleans got jobbed, they're going to implement a retire rule because of it. Right. It was a blown call. Deal with it.
8: Yeah. They happen. Unfortunately, they do happen, but they do happen. We're two out of three on number three. I didn't have the pass interference rule on here just because it's so new. I think I'll grow to a state of animosity like you guys about it, but I'm not too upset with it yet. So my number three, Ben, you had at number nine. I called it just the shoes rule, you know, with the NFL. Pro basketball players, pro baseball players have some absolutely insanely cool shoes. They hire guys to make all these for them, and they can wear them in the games. NFL players, they're fine in warm-ups, but you can't wear them in a the game. What's the point of that? It, it, just let him wear it.
2: It's no-fun league. Indeed. I'm no-fun as far as game uniforms are <laughs> concerned. You know what else is not fun? Games that end in ties. Yeah, That's my boom. number two. Um, and I'm sure people would say the college football rule of start at the 25 and all that is gimmicky, but at least it gives you a winner. I say, and maybe college football should go to this. You, you have the period, You have a, and, and I know it's f- 10 minutes right now in the NFL. So 10 minutes, play it out, and if we're still tied, then you go to the college football, essentially shootout rule. That's kind of like what hockey does, yeah. where you have a period where they play with fewer guys on the ice, but it's still hockey, and then if you still can't break it, then we shoot it out. It's just odd that hockey has a better solution for ties <laughs> than, than football. Yeah. My number two, I've
1: got targeting here at number two. Just, I'm, again, I'm for the rule if it's correctly enforced and, and well written. Uh, I, I've personally believed intent should be involved. I think uh, it, we've, we did it for years with the face mask. Mm-hmm. People say it's, it's subjective if, if you can judge intent or not. That's every penalty, just right. about. So I'm all for it, and I hate the fact that if a kid – if it was an incidental targeting the fact that he has to go into the locker room and can't watch the game with his teammates on the sideline I think that's a terrible part to the rule Um, yeah punishing kids and I think it also would be smart if you are determining there is intent increase the severity of the punishments the first one you get a warning second one you're ejected third one is suspension then go from there
4: right
8: Uh, uh, perfect rule yes screw that guy not a fan (laughs) not at all all right, number two for me, the fumbling out of the end zone rule in both forms of American football. Come on. If the defense almost allows a guy to score and the ball just pops out right there, they get rewarded for it. Just no. Yeah, no that one you. doesn't. Nope.
2: It doesn't feel nope. too good. It doesn't feel right. Right. If they can't recover it in the end zone, so what? Put it where he fumbled it? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Or take or like, it back to the spot
8: of the original loss of down. That's fair. Or make it, take it one play for the ball from the spot. Something. Yeah. yeah. All right. My number
2: one just instituted this year, the penalty for roughing the passer if you land with your whole body weight on, on the quarterback. Again, we let people use their entire body to tackle the other, you know, four, five guys that could get the ball. Why not the quarterback? And offensive
1: linemen are taught when they're pancake to jump on top of the guy. Right. Lay on top of him. Right. Yeah. My number one NFL overtime rules hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Cost the Chiefs potentially a Super Bowl uh, appearance, and t- ties are terrible. There is an infinite other ways that you could you could implement to have this be better than what it is right now. Indeed.
8: Number one for me, Ben. You railed down at number five. I've got the catch rule here. I'm with you. If it looks like a catch, it is a catch. Yeah. Shouldn't be that
1: hard. Ball stops in his hands. It's a catch. Solved. Problem solved. We fixed the rule book. I think, I think the we three, did it. I think the three of us need to start a football league and implement um, true, real rules that, that should be. You HSNFL? Know. Yes. Ah. I, you're on to something. You and Brett uh, write up the scripts and the, uh, the rule book. Hey, tip the scales in your favor by eating healthier snacks throughout the day. Today's Healthy Huskers Tip brought to you by United Healthcare and Real Appeal Program. Learn more at RealAppeal.com. We're talking some recruiting after the break. Happy to welcome into the program now a good friend of the show, Greg Smith of Hale Varsity. Greg, good news today for the Huskers. Ronald DeLancey from Miami Northwestern commits. You probably knew this this might have been in the hopper after the the Louisville decommitment. Tell us a little bit about, about DeLancey and, and his last few weeks.
7: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a, a good tell for Nebraska once Delancey. Visited for that Ohio State game um, and then decommitted for, or came into the, the weekend as a Louisville commit and then decommitted shortly after he got back home to Miami. Um, that's always a good sign for the team that just got the visit. Uh, plays at a powerhouse program down in Miami. Uh, They're defending six eight, uh, state champs down in Florida. Um, he's about six foot 160 right now. Um, physical guy, long and lanky, just the type of guy that you think that uh, Travis Fisher would really like and want in his room. Tell us about
1: Travis Fisher's philosophy. He's got a different way about going about things, and his players seem to really uh, attract to him. What, describe him as a, as, a, as a coach, but even more so as a recruiter, and how he connects with these kids.
7: Yeah, it's really interesting because I always describe Krabs Fisher as a guy on the recruiting trail that if you click with him, you're really going to click with him um, because he really does have a particular way. And if you talk to him or watch his interviews, you kind of see that he's very direct and he's like that on the recruiting trail and like that as a coach. Um, but he relates to guys because he's been in their shoes, right? Being a guy that had to work and scrap for everything that he got during his playing career and turn himself into a nice NFL pro career and now a nice coaching career Guys really relate to that, um, that story that he's able to tell, and he has the blueprint to be able to get you there as well. Then um, he's going to coach you through tough love. You talk to any of his defensive backs currently, they'll tell you uh, that he's not shy or bashful about giving you criticism, but it's coming from a good place, and he definitely knows what he's talking about.
1: Miami Northwestern, you, you said the perfect word, powerhouse. I mean, Nebraska, it's been a while since they've dabbled in here and gotten somebody from there. Levante David from that high school, Amari Cooper, Teddy Bridgewater. There's some terrific players from that high school. Uh, who is it in particular that has connections with, with that high school and and continues to have success in the state of Florida?
7: Yeah, uh, Travis Fisher is a guy on this staff that that's kind of a lead recruiter uh, for that. Jovan DeWitt. Um, it is also a guy that that is really well known throughout Florida. Um, you can never go too long with talking about a Southeast prospect without talking about Sean Beckton as well, um, given his prowess down there. But Travis Fisher was kind of the guy that took the lead uh, on this particular recruitment.
1: Okay, state of Florida has been huge. We, we we've already we've already discussed that. Uh, the 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 staff seems to kind of go from all over the place. Greg we were kind of talking about this in the office yesterday you know you get South Dakota and, and uh, Arizona and Connecticut and you, we got guys kind of from all over is it pretty region specific or is it just where the kids are in Nebraska is going to go.
7: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Nebraska is a, a coast-to-coast kind of recruiting program. They've always kind of been that as a national brand um, and a big-time program, but they, they do like, with this staff, um, to recruit a couple of hot spots, right? They they like the southeast of Georgia, um, Alabama, Florida, but the, the southwest has become an interesting emoji group as well, Arizona, and then all the way out west of California, so they like to go where the talent is, uh, but there are a couple of regions that they definitely like to stick to, um, which makes sense given some of their history as a staff.
1: You, Nebraska, you look at uh, where they're at commitment-wise. Delancey is is certainly the newest one, but they also picked up one and uh, uh, Rodney Gross, a linebacker. Interesting story from him. Had a lot of huge offers, a lot of big-time offers. What was he really looking for throughout his commit that he found in Nebraska and maybe not out of Alabama or Auburn or some of those bigger schools?
7: Yeah, I think that Rodney was looking for an opportunity to play and make an impact and make a name for himself early on, um, but but also a place where where he felt comfortable and felt at home. I, I really did feel throughout the process and talking to him is that he wanted like the biggest place that he could go that he felt that he could make a real impact. And I think we we talked on the show about this. Nebraska's need at linebacker is pretty big for this cycle. I think it's their biggest overall, whether you're talking inside and in, outside linebacker both are needed Um, he was the first inside linebacker to join the fold for this cycle Um, so he'll definitely have an opportunity early in his career to see the football field
1: Greg I get asked all the time on this show and I'm sure you do too about big-bodied wide receivers I know the, the Huskers have been trying to go local with some recruits with some, with some big big time prospects in the state. but when, when you look at, at receiver, where do you see Nebraska trying to address that need of a big body wide receiver? and how many can we
7: expect? Yeah, I, I think you, you you can expect to see at least one in this class. And they do have one that I think fits the bill, Xavier Betts, who's about 6'3", 190. Um, you don't necessarily have a big-body wide receiver. You can run really well. Um, but they had Justin Robinson, who's about 6'4", 200, Georgia commit, that was on campus this past weekend. Um, don't lose track of Omar Manning, the number one Juco wide receiver, who's about 6'3", took an official visit over the summer and has not taken another visit um, yet after that that so as long as he has not taken another official visit I'll continue to feel good about Nebraska's chances there so I think they end up with with a big body wide receiver in this class then I'll be curious to see if Nebraska continues uh, to try to push even harder to get that after going some of the through some of the struggles that they've had this season Robinson
1: Georgia commit what do you think of Lincoln Is, is it open and shut that he's a dog
7: uh, I don't think so. I think that there's the, the early intel that I'm getting there, that the, the visit went very well. We can really open his eyes, um, both with the fan base and the relationship with the coaching staff, but also the opportunity that he saw uh, from a player of his build to be able to come in and make an impact. I think it's pretty clear um, that Nebraska needs a guy of his size. I think Nebraska is going to plan on going to see him um, during one of their bye weeks and then possibly again um, before the December signing period for an in-home as well. I don't think the brass is going to give up there, even though he's still firmly committed to Georgia at this point.
1: Yeah, music to a lot of people's ears, big-bodied wide receivers. Greg Smith, Hale Varsity, with us here on Sports Nightly. Greg, we'll cut you loose, man. Thanks for jumping on with us so late. Have a great night. We look forward to seeing you here real soon.
7: Hey, thanks as always, man. You guys have a great night.
1: Going to finish out the night tonight on some good news. The NBA is beginning their preseason. Isaiah Roby getting his first minutes as a Maverick tonight, Nate Rohr. He was inserted late in the third quarter. They're at the end of the third quarter now. They're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. Isaiah, one for two from the floor, two rebounds and assist, making his Maverick debut.
2: There you go. And it's a good chance for him to solidify himself. I'm sure he'll be up and down from their G League team and up with the Mavs, depending on what their needs are. If they've got, you know, three games in a week or something like that. But just good that Roby begins his NBA career.
1: Isaiah was at the Ohio State game and waved to the crowd. And I had a chance to talk with him for a few minutes. And, uh, Loves the organization. They're treating him great. He lives down in Dallas now and still training. And so sounds like he's he's thrilled with it. I mean, it can be tough, you know. You're you're a young pup. You're a rookie in, in a league, and sometimes communication's not always the best of what they expect. And uh, the training and the coaching, they sometimes they leave you on an island and you fend for yourself. But doesn't sound like that's the case. Sounds like he's getting getting the appropriate and you know he's getting taken care of, which is a good thing.
2: And you think of that Mavs organization right now and. That's going to be a very young team and a rebuilding stage, so it's not as if he's trying to work his way onto a team where the rotation's pretty well set. You know, the the whole, uh, you know, floor of possibilities is open for him, so maybe he can wedge his way onto the rotation where he's playing every night.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to miss seeing that guy around. Just a tremendous dude. O- always happy to talk to you. Always smiling. Great teammate. Great person. And. We're all wishing the best for him.
2: Yeah, great guy. You almost feel like we just began to scratch the yeah. surface of what he could do as a basketball player here at Nebraska. You wish that, that he could could have developed a little bit more and, and and done a little more here at Nebraska. But of course he had a great career here too.
1: Sure did, man. I'm gonna miss seeing him posterize dudes on those dunks. I mean Oof. seemed like he had one of those a night where he just smash someone going up rocking the rim
2: terrific athletics uh, athleticism which which it was a big part of why you felt like he had such great potential yeah he has way more athleticism than everybody in this building here
1: tonight Nate Rohr my co-host thank you enjoyed it thanks for having me thanks for my help with the back Brett Woody thanks to Austin Orman thanks to all of you for listening we're back with you another edition of sports nightly tomorrow night Greg Sharp back in the chair with you I'm Ben McLaughlin we'll talk to you tomorrow have a great night